We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Black Widow. You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives. Before I was an Avenger. Before I got this family. I made mistakes. Choosing between what the world wants you to be. And who you are. We have to go back to where it all started. Where did you think I was all this time? We have unfinished business. My girls are the toughest girls in the world. I'm sorry. We had our orders and we played our roles. It wasn't real. It was real to me. To me? You were everything. One thing's for sure. I'm done running from my past. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Black Widow, and the story is as follows. At birth, Black Widow is given to the KGB, which grooms her to become its ultimate operative. When the USSR breaks up, the government tries to kill her as the action moves to present-day New York, where she is a freelance operative. The film is starring Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, O.T. Thigbengli, William Hurt, Ray Winstone, and Rachel Wise. It is directed by Kay Shortland and written by Eric Pearson. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everybody. Lauren LaMagna. Hey, fellas. And Bianca Gardner. I was going to say hi in like a Russian accent, but uh, I'm not going to attempt that. So <laughs> You would have sounded exactly as Ray Winstone does in this movie then in that case. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is uh, the much anticipated standalone film for Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, here in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, otherwise known as the MCU. Very, very, very much anticipated because of the fact that a we should have gotten this movie about i don't know say five years ago chronologically where it does take place in between captain america civil war and avengers infinity war really should have gotten it during that time but it was supposed to come out last year got delayed three times i believe due to covid19 and is now finally available on both Disney Plus uh, via premium access where, you know, you have to pay $30 to watch it or you can go see it in theaters if theaters are open and if you think it's safe. This is officially kicking off phase four of the MCU. It is directed by Kay Shortland, as mentioned earlier. 
Scott Johansson serves as an executive producer on this, and we are going to... We are, we are going to avoid spoilers uh, for today's discussion as best as we possibly can. I understand that there are some people who might be waiting to see this movie because of theaters. Maybe they don't want to pay the premium on Disney Access, but they want to know what we think regardless. So what did everyone think of Black Widow? We're going to first start off here with Lauren LaMagna. I know that you've been dying to see this for many, many years. Many years. So, yeah, as some people might know, Natasha Romanoff has become a little bit of a personality trait for me. And I've actively been wanting this movie for, I want to say, seven years now since The Winter Soldier. And I've been a big fan of this character. I've been a big fan of her comic journey. And I cannot believe that this movie is finally here and it's finally real and I could see it and immerse it. So... I do feel a little too close to this character and a little too close to this world and being so actively involved in trying to get this movie made and get our voice being heard to create it. So I am trying to take off that hat and put on my critique hat, but I am aware that this film was kind of made for my world of, you know, Natasha stands, I guess you would say, but I really did dig this movie. I don't know if it was because that it just really fit into my wheelhouse of espionage spy thrillers where we talk about identity and um, abuse and trauma and working through that in family within a Russian spy genre, or I'm just really excited that we're officially in phase four and that we're finally seeing Natasha, but I thought this was a very grounded story for Marvel. It wasn't too big. And that's something that I really gravitate towards, something that doesn't involve, you know, the magic and the witches and godlike mythology. If we get a really grounded story, I gravitate towards that. And I think this was, and Kate Shortland is one of my best friends right now. Like, literally, or? No, but, like, I love her. Like, she did such a good (laughs) job, and I'm kind of shocked at how good it is because, again, like you said, people have wanted this movie for, at most, 11 years, minimally one because it was delayed for a year. So that's a lot of pressure to put on one movie, and the fact that it, in my opinion, exceeded those expectations and met those expectations is kind of a miracle, So I'm kind of shocked at how good it is. I don't think this movie has the right to be as good as it is, but I'm very happy that it is as good as it is. But I'm pretty sure I'm the highest person on this movie. So take that as you will. All right. All right. No problem. Next up, Bianca Gardner. Um, I really wish I could share that same level of um, enthusiasm for this movie. I felt it was very disappointing um, I do think it would have um, been better, sort of, if it come out um, previously to, uh, obviously, um, you know, Endgame and Infinity War. It just felt like to me, I, I already sort of knew the end journey of um, Natasha's story. So everything up until that, you know, it, it just didn't seem like there was very much. I couldn't really get invested in her story because I sort of know ultimately what ha- what was going to happen to her. So it felt very. Um, I, it just it just didn't feel right to me that we were having this this film in this moment. I I felt like this is a film that should have come out a long time ago. I think um, in terms of action and um, direction, I felt it was very good. It was. Um, you know, up there with um, in terms of Civil War and um, Winter Soldier. 
Um, my only concern was really um, it was a bit hard to follow in some places in terms of the story. There wasn't really a, a, enough time for certain characters to have more moments of sort of getting to know each other and having building up on that relationship. Sometimes I felt it moved along too quickly. And I just felt as well in, in terms of getting started, it felt like it was almost dragging um, to, to actually, get, uh, once the action started, it was very good. But it, it seemed to have like, to me, a lot of false starts. I thought, okay, this is where the story is going to start actually getting going. But it just felt a little bit um, like it was stalling in some places. I wasn't too thrilled with um, the finale of the movie and I just felt it was a bit chaotic at the end with a lot of things where I was just sort of like, there's no way they could survive that. Like, <laughs> I know, uh, you know, they're not, they're not like the God of Thunder. They're not, you know, uh, the Incredible Hulk or anything like that. They're just ordinary people, but they go through so much and, it's just a broken nose or whatever it is. So it just felt a little bit too uh, uh, unbelievable in some points, which is really a shame because I like it when it's more grounded in that sense of reality. But overall, quite an enjoyable movie. All right. And now let's pass it over to Nicole Ackman. So I feel like in talking about this movie, there's two almost like disclaimers that I need to put on to everything that I'll say. The first is that I'm a big Marvel fan. I come from a family of Marvel fans. We were all really excited for this movie. I think that in some ways being a Marvel fan means that on one hand, obviously I wanted to like this movie. I wanted it to be good. But on the other hand, uh, I was going to be more upset if this movie wasn't what I wanted it to be because I have high standards for what, what I was wanting from it and what I'm wanting from phase four of the MCU. The other important thing to know is that one of the like most pivotal uh, traits about my whole personality is that I'm a big sister. I'm really close with my little sister who is eight years younger than I am. She's also a huge Marvel fan. And so getting to see this movie together was really important. And I think it really does color my views of the movie because I think that at its heart, this movie is a really beautiful story about sisters, uh, kind of in the same vein as something like Frozen or The Hunger Games. And I have now seen this movie three times. <laughs> um, I, I had a screener, which I wrote my review for MVP. Uh, you may have seen it there, which I watched twice while I had the screener. And then I went to see it opening night in theaters. And this is one of those films that I do think really benefits from being seen on a big screen. If you are somewhere that you can get out to a theater and see it, I highly recommend that because obviously with fun action sequences like this, um, but also some of the like needle drops in it, I think are really fun whenever you're in a theater. But this movie really blew me away. I don't think it's like top, top tier Marvel. Um, it's not like a, a Thor Ragnarok or a Black Panther. It doesn't sort of reinvent what an MCU movie can be, but it's really good at what it is being. And I think it's very bittersweet though, in that it feels like this is the Natasha that I've wanted to see the entire time the MCU has been around and that we've never gotten. And it's sad that we finally get that in the movie in which we're saying goodbye to her. Yeah, so I'm somewhere between Bianca and the uh, Lauren and Nicole here. I, too, like a lot of elements of this movie. 
But there are other elements that definitely hold me back from embracing it the same way that, as Nicole mentioned, like a Black Panther or a Thor Ragnarok or even a movie that this has been compared to in some ways, uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I do feel that Black Widow is a movie that is doing the best that it can to be that movie that everyone wants it to be, especially those who are fans of the character Natasha Romanoff. And I do agree with what Nicole said, that this is, um, you know, her best showcase role yet because she owns this movie. She is the lead character. She's not a supporting player in it. It's very, (laughs) it's very funny then that Scarlett Johansson, for me, is maybe like, the third thing of this movie that I think about when I think about this movie now. Uh, She kind of has the movie actually stolen away from her, uh, maybe by design, maybe unintentionally so, but either way, uh, it's funny how this is supposed to be her moment. She is the moment. This is Scarlett Johansson all the way, and she is not what people are talking about when they are coming out of this movie, which I find to be very interesting to say the least, but we can get into that in a little bit. Overall, I thought the movie was good. I didn't think it was necessarily great, and I didn't think it was uh, a groundbreaking movie that I believe fans or even Marvel wanted it to be because I think it's coming out way too late. I think if this predated, say, something like the release of Wonder Woman, and Marvel was able to get there first with this female-led um, action film in this big, gigantic universe, they really could have broken ground in a way that would have set the standard for other movies that have uh, followed since, like a Captain Marvel or, like I said, Wonder Woman in that regard. But instead, what it feels like we're getting at times is it feels like we're getting this mixture of James Bond with Mission Impossible with Jason Bourne and... We kind of already did that, like I said, Mm -hmm. with the Captain America movies, but this time it's just, you know, focused on women, which is totally good. It's good to get nice, you know, different flavors out there for people to uh, consume in terms of their storytelling. But in that regard, it does feel kind of almost like that same old, same old Marvel formula and is not, in my opinion, like breaking the kind of ground, like I said, that I think people wanted it to and I do have specifics and 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 how we can get into that and that is kind of like the first jumping off point that I want to uh bring up here is this movie has some really really dark subject matter Nicole and I talked about this offline uh quite a bit and I do feel as I'm watching the movie there is a hesitancy on Disney Marvel to go deeper with the film's explorations of its themes and the character of Natasha Romanoff herself uh, because it's a family-friendly film at the end of the day. But there is some really, really heavy stuff happening here in terms of uh, the, the Black Widow program, abuse, trauma, how women are used as sex slaves in this underground world. I mean, there, there's a lot going on here. So what do you guys think in terms of how the movie handled that subject matter? Oh, I did not like that at all. I didn't like the fact that there's a point where they talk about their um, reproductive organs being removed and it was almost treated like a joke. I, uh, As somebody who actually suffers from um, endometriosis, which is quite a bad condition and may potentially mean that I, I won't be able to have children, I, I really didn't find that quite um, amusing if 
felt very uh, all over the world there are millions of women who suffer from that sort of inability to have children and obviously it's something where in the past women have suffered of, of having you know uh, men dictate on their reality to, to have children and all that sort of side of things so I didn't really find that quite amusing that was actually kind of is the reason why I have some issues with this film it it just felt like like you say that there are some very dark themes in this film that should have been explored in more depth this really should have been a, a you know a r-rated movie in terms of um content and and also in terms of violence as well it didn't really go where i thought it would go and it just felt like there's yeah there was just packaged like all sort of marvel movies are to they're to, contractually obligated to be a marvel movie yeah yeah, yeah so. so they have to have the humor and so on and so forth which is not a bad thing but when you're making fun of such a serious subject like you said it just yeah. feels it just left a very sour taste in my mouth but i that was just something that really stuck with me and uh, actually sort of hindered my overall enjoyment of the movie So in my opinion, I think that scene in particular is specifically trying to fix a major problem within Black Widow that happened in Avengers Age of Ultron, where Widow Mm -hmm. explains what happened to her to Bruce. And that, in my opinion, as someone who loves this character, is the fundamental error in the MCU's adaptation of Natasha, where she was never able to kind of come back from that. So I understand them trying to fix that and for her to be like, they did this to me. I don't see myself as less than. It's something more of consent. So I understand the point of the scene and why they dictated it the way that they dictated it because it was just staged to fix what Joss Whedon had done all those years ago. But one of my concerns about Natasha, when when we were always talking about should she get the movie, I was always like, yes, but on the other hand, Natasha is the less Disney-like character in the Marvel canon. She is a very hard, dark character in a very hard, dark world. So when we would talk about a film, I'd be like, I don't even think this movie should be funny because Natasha doesn't make jokes. Her world is very sad and it's very um, about accepting what happened to you and coming to terms with it. And one of the first forms of acceptance is, you know, using humor to rebuke what actually happened to you and it talks about you know the stages of grief because Yelena just got out of the system she's just starting to realize you know what she's been through and whereas Natasha has been out of it for a while so she's come to terms with it and has been able to you know develop you know a free will and decision making and her own personality and a heart where Melina on the other hand has been in it for decades so she doesn't have that ability as well so you see these three women who have all undergone very similar situations and each person's situation has affected the other ones the way Melina was brought up determined the way Natasha was brought up and when Natasha defected they made everything a lot harder for Elena's generation so they're all tortured in a way that's similar yet different and seeing them react to what they have been through I thought was really powerful to see how trauma can affect people intergenerationally. I don't disagree with that reading of it. I also don't disagree with Bianca's reading of it either. But what I do think is a 
fundamental flaw, as you mentioned there, Lauren, in terms of what Joss Whedon had set up in Age of Ultron and then reached its conclusion in Avengers Endgame. One thing that I was hoping for heading into this movie was I was hoping, genuinely hoping, once I realized that this was a um, story between Civil War and Infinity War and not um, a prequel uh, you know, uh, story that was setting up the Natasha Romanoff character even before the events of uh, Iron Man 2 was I was genuinely hoping it was going to fill in some gaps as to why her character meets the fate that she does in Avengers Endgame. And instead, it made me angrier. Good. And it actually made me hate that decision even more. And I was telling this to Nicole the night that I saw it. I feel like the movie just lost a whole point for me. And also made me retroactively dislike Avengers Endgame even, which has been my favorite movie in the MCU uh, (laughs) now for the last two or three years, whatever it's been. So I'm but I mean, like and you're saying good, which I I can appreciate because it was a bullshit decision at the time. I knew it was a bullshit decision at the time, but I still liked Avengers Endgame on the whole. That was like my one big my only problem with that movie was that one scene. Mm -hmm. And now this movie kind of only highlights what a terrible decision that was. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even I don't I think they are deliberately trying to make it make sense. But instead, what they're doing is they're digging themselves into a deeper hole of anger and frustration. So I, I think- mean, you're saying positive things to me. I don't know about what <laughs> Bianca is saying, but like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think what shows how strong of a film this is, is that the negatives are things that are outside of this film. The mm-hmm. negatives is what happens in Endgame. The negatives is how she was set up prior to this, because Natasha in general, her history in the MCU is pretty inconsistent. She's jumping from creatives that either really know her in one movie and then completely miss the bar in the next one. And you don't really know, unless you know the character outside of the MCU personally, in my opinion, her potential and what she actually stands for. And if you miss, you know, one scene or one line that she says in one of these huge movies, you do miss it. So the fact that the negatives that you're getting from you know this character are elements that aren't in this movie i think demonstrates how strong that this movie is on its own it's interesting because those movies are obviously directed by men and this is a a film directed by a by a woman so uh, it's interesting that they there's more sort of at least attempt to give the character a bit more depth and history here and I'm just wondering whether that is because, you know, dance is sort of the, the female gaze and um, the sort of idea of um, it being uh, a, a woman telling, telling a woman's story. So uh, that's just my thoughts. I think that it's interesting because on the third time that I watched it, I picked up on things that I hadn't the first two times in terms of, I think, them trying to show, not justify what happens to Natasha in Endgame, Uh, because I don't think it can be justified, but show sort of how she gets to the decision that she makes as a character. And Clint Barton is a character who, to not be in this movie, comes up a lot. Yep. Uh, He definitely is presented as this sort of thing that helped Nat be able to get out of the, you know, situation she was in with the Red Room, the the situation that she was in before she was an Avenger, who sort of threw her a lifeline and helped her out of that. And someone that she speaks of, like, fairly fondly without it ever seeming, like, you know, weird or out of character. But I think it also sets up this idea that for all that 
Nat may not seem like it on the surface, she is someone who cares deeply about the people that she cares about. And so it makes sense that, you know, in the situation that she's in in Endgame on Vormir, that she would make this decision to make this sacrifice for this person that she feels, you know, helped her when she needed it most. And I think that it does a really good job of sort of solidifying that relationship between Nat and Clint without him ever even being in the film to help that not feel as at least like to make that feel in character, even if I'm still mad about the fact that she got fridged, at least it does feel like, okay, right. Well, like, you know, they are best friends. They they do mean a lot to each other. But why then illustrate this idea that because they're trying to basically the decision in Endgame is about like which one of them has more or less to live for beyond that moment that they're in uh, together. And this movie illustrates that there is a life for Nat outside of the Avengers mm. and that there are other people who care about her and that there, that there are people that she cares about. And instead of taking those people away, they are set up for future installments and future movies. And of course, they're never mentioned in Endgame or Infinity War because this movie had not been developed yet. But in that regard, I, I'm conflicted. I, I understand, once again, the argument for why. And I, I understand like everything that's being said. But I would counteract that and say that there is an equal argument to say, no, this still doesn't make sense. And it's still at odds with itself. I have said before, I do think that for one thing, to make this movie make sense, they will need to make canon at some point. Like through Disney Plus, you mean? Well, I mean, like in the Hawkeye Just mentioned. or something, that these yeah. characters... Uh, were blipped mm -hmm. because I think that otherwise it doesn't make sense that Nat's not in contact with them at all in in right. Whereas if they're yeah. blipped, then that makes perfect sense. It also makes perfect sense why she is feeling so incredibly down. She's lost, you know, uh, her her family, uh, quote unquote, you know, her family <laughs> from Russia. Um, as well as half of the Avengers and, and you know, is in this situation. I can see, too, why that would lead her to the situation, to the, yeah. to the place mentally that she's in in Endgame. Um, but I also do think that there's something to be said maybe for the fact that we do see, I think, that in this film, Nat is willing to make sacrifices and do things for the greater good. But also Nat knows that Yelena and, you know, and Alexei and Melina, too, are capable people who are going to be just fine without her. Yeah, you know, she yeah. gives Yelena this charge of you go be the one to find the rest of the widows and and wake them up from this programming and all of that. And I think that it makes sense that she doesn't think that they need her in the way that Clint's family needs him. Uh, so it, it, it is the kind of thing that I wish that we'd already had this going in Endgame so that we could have, like, explored right. all of that a bit more. But I do think that, you know, Kate Shortland and, and the writers did a good job of not breaking anything in Endgame that wasn't already broken. I will say this. Mm. If they do that canon bit of explaining the blip uh, for her family members in this movie, I will retroactively forgive the movie for this <laughs> shortcoming. Um, and that's what I feel like I'm doing with Marvel all the time is a future installment comes out. And I'm like, oh, that made that inherently better. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think that it would make it make sense because obviously we know uh, we already knew going into this film that Yelena uh, is in the show Hawkeye. Yeah. And I do think that it's a very interesting idea that if she is blipped, she comes out of the blip 
to find out that her, you know, older sister figure, the, mm-hmm. the woman she considers her older sister, didn't make it. And obviously, you know, within the MCU, you assume there's like publicity on Avenger things mm-hmm. and that she would just know that Natasha and Clint went on this mission and Natasha didn't come back. And I think that sets up Yelena to have a very interesting arc. Once again, mm-hmm. if they can confirm to me that she was blipped. Let's uh, let's move over to Yelena for a minute here. I mentioned earlier that the movie does feel like it is kind of taken away from Scarlett Johansson because goddamn Florence Pugh is so good in this movie as Yelena. I, I I have to admit, like, even from the trailers, I, I had expectations that she would be fantastic. And I knew that she was a great casting choice. And even the age difference uh, between her and Scarlett Johansson didn't bother me, like, at all. They sell it very, very well. And that was never an issue. Um, Florence Pugh is an actress who has had an incredible last couple of years with great performances in Lady Macbeth. Fighting with My Family, Midsummer, Little Women, her Oscar-nominated role in Little Women. And now she is entering into that phase of her career at the age of, what, 25, I think she is right now? She is. Where she is just going to blow up in an even bigger way than she has already. I mean, like, this is a catapult to not just the stardom, but to a whole other galaxy at this point. Because she knocks this completely out of the park, steals every single scene that she's in. She, I, I'm, I am ready. I am ready for the standalone Florence Pugh MCU movie at this point. Great character <laughs> setup. Absolutely, so well Let, done. Let's hope we don't have to wait like ten years for that. Please, God. <laughs> Florence Pugh for every slightly bratty younger sister role ever. <laughs> I mean, the even the accent didn't bother me. I thought for sure that like something somewhere. I was like, but no, she just kept on nailing it over and over and over again. I do, I do want to say that I love the bit about the poses. <laughs> it's so that was <laughs> I do like that they call attention to that too, yeah. yeah. And especially there's a you know actual then uh, implementation of that joke later in the film, of course, and it, it works off pretty well. It's one yeah. of the film's better jokes. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads... But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
<laughs> I think that not only though, I mean, obviously Florence Pugh is sort of, I feel like the shining star of this movie, but I do think that Scarlett Johansson does a really good job in it. And I think that actually part of what makes Florence's performance so great is the fact that she and Scarlett have really good chemistry together and they're yeah. very believable as sisters. Like it was very funny watching it with my sister. There were several times where we turned to each other because it was like, oh, Oh, that's us. <laughs> like, that's exactly what we look like. The, all the different scenes of them in the car were literally things that I recognize from the sort of conversations that I have with my own little sister. And I think that that made it even better that they were able to have this sort of really nice banter and this back and forth that I think really helped us immediately warm to Yelena and for Natasha not to get entirely lost in the fact that Florence Pugh is one of those incredibly charismatic actors who sort of, I think, any scene that she's in, typically, it's hard to look at anything other than her. I mean, I just wish there were more scenes of just them too. Yeah, it does take a little while for her to get introduced into the movie. Isn't it like a good, like half an hour, 40 minutes or so before uh, Florence Pugh enters the film? Probably like a half an hour, I would say. Probably like a half an hour. Yeah, yeah. But once she does enter in, as Nicole said, their chemistry and their scenes together, I mean, it, I... It's weird because, like I said, Scarlett Johansson is in every single scene of this movie, but the best scenes of the movie are the ones that have Florence Pugh. Uh, and, and there's just no way around that because I do think that she is also given some really, really good uh, writing material as well for explaining her character's backstory, her relationship with her sister, both of their relationships with their quote-unquote parents. And in that regard, like all the stuff that Nicole is saying, even though it does come from a uh, personal place for her, I, I do think that that translates and people can feel that and relate to that and understand that chemistry and that bond that they share uh, with one another because they're both victims of the Black Widow program. So there's this shared trauma between them that they are able to relate to with each other. And I think that that communicates really, really well to the audience in trying to establish an emotional connection to these characters. Especially, like, what's that one scene where they have, um, they make, like, a pit stop, and they're sitting, like, outside of, uh, like, a, was it, like, a gas station or something, right? A, like, convenience store or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, little scenes like that where the movie can just slow down for a brief moment to just focus in on these characters. That's the kind of stuff that pays off uh, dividends all the time for uh, the MCU is when they're able to hone in on these very character-specific moments. And I think that's where, you know, they always excel more so than any action fight sequence because, quite frankly, also, once again, <sighs> I don't think that the action scenes in this movie are particularly memorable. Nothing really stands out other than the one in the... Um, the apartment in Budapest with Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson. I did like the prison sort of break. Uh, yes, that took place. <laughs> that was. I, good. I, I was having I was having some logistical problems with that scene, uh, yeah. but but otherwise, and, and you know, and then, and then I do think the final action sequence is maybe a little too over the top. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> there there comes a certain point where. You know, it's like, I think that audiences forget that Natasha is a human. Yeah. She's not a superhero. But I feel like they're trying so hard to make her like she's a superhero. I mean, goodness sake. Like, come on. It's just, I mean, I can extend my belief or disbelief for some things. But, you know, like that end bit, I, I won't obviously give any spoilers. But I was just like, 
no, there's no way she's going to survive. Oh, no, she survived. Like David Harbour, I understand. He's got the Captain America serum, <laughs> you know? So I, I get some of the stuff that he does in this movie, but Natasha wasn't injected with any of that stuff. Why you know? is her arm not dislocated? <laughs> so she's, she's doing like Fast and the Furious style where uh, these characters are thrown around and falling from great distances and land- not a scratch on them. Not a scratch. <laughs> as soon as I got out of the theater, I texted my friend. I said, wow, Marvel really saw us making jokes about Natasha, like jumping to her death, that they made an entire movie of this girl free falling. Um, <laughs> 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 just, they, that's literally what it is. But, um, and I under, I understand that critique. And I do know that people have always been like, well, what is her, uh, what is like her strength wise compared to everyone else? And I will say that like it is just a normal look for like Batman that it really is her suit that is with all her fun gadgets, gadgets and stuff. But I understand that critique that like girl is falling a lot and hitting a lot of things and she's okay. So I honestly think on Vormir, she's just concussed now and she'd be fine and she'll get up like one day and be like, why am I so upset? <laughs> That is something that I do feel like other directors in the MCU have struggled with with her, you know, because she is surrounded by all these mythical creatures. And, you know, in the case of someone like a Tony Stark, who's also human, billion dollar, I can afford anything. It's like and she's got her guns and her skills. And I do find that uh, a lot of directors have struggled with how to properly use her. So here you don't have that problem. Because here, you can center a whole story around her skill set, which is why, like I said, it's a little disappointing then in the third act that they go as far as they do. Because I I was comparing it to even something like Mission Impossible, right? Because let's face it, Tom Cruise is a freaking madman. But what sells those movies in terms of their high stakes and the level of impossibility of the scenes that he's involved in is that it's actually him. And there's no CGI. And he could literally die on camera with some of the stuff that he's doing. Here, it's just your typical Marvel CGI. And it's not innovative in a way like Doctor Strange was or anything like that. It's just like the conventional Marvel cinematography and CGI. So in that regard, and like I said, had this movie come out maybe a little earlier somewhere, you know, closer to Winter Soldier and Civil War, I I would have been like, okay, like, it's that Russo Brothers style of lots of hand-to-hand fighting, and, you know, we're going to get a car chase sequence here with some stunts. I would have been okay with it, but I just kind of feel like at this point, it's like, I've seen this before, we've seen this before, there's nothing really new here. Yeah, it really seems odd that this is now, like, starting off the phase four where like I would feel like they would be a bit more inventive and this feels very similar to everything that we've seen before like yeah like I don't think it's bad it's a formula that works but I I just you know when you're this many films in how many films is it at this point 2024 more films than the Fast and Furious okay yeah (laughs) I mean when you get to a certain point you just want that variety a bit more which is why lately I have been appreciating the movies that do diverge from the Marvel uh, quote-unquote formula a bit more because at this point I do feel that they are kind of serving up the same meal to us uh, over and over again, you know? 
I mean, you can disagree and just say that you like it. That's there's no problem with that. <laughs> I personally like was entertained. My favorite fight scene was the one in Budapest because I do like the whole idea of mirroring and how they are the same and they shouldn't be fighting each other. It kind of reminded yeah. me of the first fight in T two when the two Terminators were fighting and they kind of froze for a second because it is an unnatural thing. I do like that. I don't think it's bad that it didn't diverse from anything because. Again, they're not superheroes. They're just really skilled spies and assassins. So they have the same wheelhouse. And I like seeing people with the same skill set who were brought up in identical circumstances that were really traumatic and traumatizing and just plain old not good. And I like seeing them as the fights continue, them developing their own style. Because, yeah, even though they have the same foundations... At the end, Elena's fighting a little bit differently than Nat, so that's showing that she is developing a personality and she is developing a sense of self, which is something she wasn't able or wasn't given the opportunity to develop as a child. So I like that personally. And if it's over the top, I understand the critique, but um, I don't think Mia constantly elevate it if the characters don't need it. They're not superheroes. They're not magic. They're not gods, so they don't need you know, the bells and whistles just give them each other so they can, you know, punch each other out. And I'm okay with that. I also have to say that this is one of my actually favorite car chase sequences in a movie. I typically find car chase sequences very boring. But the fact that the one that we have in this movie, uh, right after that Budapest fight scene, is one in which you also have the two of them, like, bickering the entire time and being like, oh, really? Like, you can't do better than that? Like, you know, do you even have a plan? Makes it so much more fun to watch, at least for someone like me who, like, really could not give a crap about a car chase, that I really appreciated some of that. And I do think that for the fact that a lot of this action is uh, similar to what we've seen before in the MCU, it has a little bit more personality in it uh, in that, we also have this element of like, oh, the bickering going on and oh, like, you know, whenever there are things that Yelena does that are similar to Natasha, you see her kind of be like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm doing this. And that for me kept me sort of invested, even though it's not like it's not reinventing the Marvel fight sequence. But I also don't think it needed to. That's not the point of this movie. Although I I'm, can I just say the the whole seatbelts thing was a bit and then surviving what they went through mm. kind of like uh really really the seat i mean seat belts are good everybody should wear them but come on I, I think it comes down to the film asking us to buy into this darker more mature story with these uh great stakes for everyone outside of the natasha romanoff character because we know ultimately that she survives this movie and what the film does a really good job of is it does a really good job of setting up these other characters like Yelena, um, Alexi, and um, and Melina. And so in that regard, I think that the film is, once again, kind of at odds with itself because there are these moments where they want you to suspend your disbelief and buy into the fact that this is another Marvel film and it's made by the Disney machine and so on and so forth. But I feel that if the movie had a harder edge to it and just had gone, I'm not saying you got to kill everybody or anything like that, but just have a little bit more of an edge. I think then that those moments could have been a bit more uh, forgiven because it does feel like they are trying to balance 
uh, these two things at the same time here. In terms of the uh, other characters, though, outside of uh, Florence Pugh, in, in talking about um, Rachel Weiss, David Harbour, a few others here, I, I do feel that David Harbour is another highlight of this movie because he does get a lot of uh, a lot of the film's humor. And I've, you can tell he's just genuinely having a great time playing this character, this boisterous father-like figure who is way past his prime, obviously. Maybe he never even had a prime. I don't know. But then he has these quieter moments uh, with Scarlet, with Florence, and... I think that that's where the humanity of the character once again comes out. It's when those, it's when the movie slows down, like that dysfunctional dinner scene that they, all four of them have together. I I think is um, really really well done once again in terms of character dynamics and really getting you to care about everyone. And tell me if you guys feel this way too. I do feel that this movie was more interested and focused on Harbor more so than Weiss. I do feel like she kind of got pushed off to the side a bit more. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, both of those characters are different in the comics. Um, not to get like so geeky, but like Melina's a, she's a pretty bad villain. So I was kind of shocked when I found out she's going to be a mother figure. I was like, who is this? Mm-hmm. But, um, I do see potential for her going elsewhere. And I'm kind of just happy that like her and Catherine Hahn are, you know, now Marvel baddies together and it'll be, really <laughs> <cool>. um, <laughs> but I do see I see potential of her going elsewhere, maybe, and her having a story farther down the line on a much smaller scale, MCU-wise. But um, I thought David Harbour was great. And as I said, I was nervous about comedy in a Black Widow film because, again, her world isn't funny. She's not a funny person, in my opinion. But um, it really worked, and my theater was laughing at his jokes. And there was singing, and they made it work, and it was just, What? I also have to say, part of, I think, the humor does come, though, from the fact that Melina is so straightforward and has no real sense of humor, and then he's cracking jokes continually. So my biggest laugh in the film actually is one of her lines, and it's the fact that she delivers it so incredibly straight that I just cracked up. Um, Because, like, it is a funny line, but she doesn't deliver it that way, and I think that in what she has, she's so good. And like seeing the movie multiple times, I started to realize just how layered her performance is. But obviously, like she's Rachel Vice, like she's doing great work naturally. Yeah. But I do think that we even don't have as much screen time with her in that obviously they're both in the beginning sequence, but then we get to David Harbour a lot sooner than we we get to her in the film. So I think it makes sense that he sort of gets more of that. And he also gets the more emotional scenes. And I think that that's part of what makes that performance so nice is that he has a really good balance of sort of being the funny comic relief, but then also having these scenes that actually really like tug on your heartstrings with these women that he sort of still sees as his daughters. And with Melina, like she is the oldest widow that we know right now. So we've seen her, she's been cycled through, I think in the film, she says four times before Natasha was even born. So that shows how ingrained in the system she still is. So that's why she is so stoic. And that's why she kind of doesn't have the sense of humor nor a personality. She just sees the job for the job, which is, a critique that Natasha got a lot for in The Winter Soldier. She was seeing why can't you just take a joke? Why 
do you not tell like the between the truth and what's not real? Why can't you just be honest? So you see those parallels between these two characters and what their environment has forced them to become. And the result of Natasha breaking that cycle and soon Elena also breaking that cycle. So seeing those paths of, you know, the longevity of what this program and what this conditioning does to these women who started off as victims. And then, you know, Melina herself is not the best person, but she started off just like Elena and Natasha. So that's an important thing to follow. And I think Rachel Weiss does a great job giving that performance in the limited screen time that she does have. Mm. I'll say she I'll say she does a good job. I can't say great job because the screen time isn't there to make it a great job. But I will say that she does a justifiable job with what she's given. She she was another highlight for me, but I, I did like once again find it a little odd that the movie gave I would say like a 65 to 35 uh, breakdown of screen time, the Harbor and then Rachel Wise getting the short shrift there. I, I, I expected heading into this movie for there to be more of a 50 50 split is all. But I do have one question uh, before we get off into another topic here. Did Alexi fight Captain America? Yes or no? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Do you want me to get geeky with you? (laughs) Sure, why not? So technically, after Endgame, Steve goes back in the past and he stays there. So maybe there's two Steves in that time point. There's one Steve that's frozen. There's one Steve that's walking around being a dad and just hanging. So potentially, if there's a call to adventure, Steve's probably going to take it to defend America. So maybe. And it also could be the... um, Captain America from Falcon and the Winter Soldier that has been forced to retire. Oh, interesting. I just don't so we have two it. options. <laughs> or he's just straight up lying. But it there's feels, possibilities that there's someone. Feels to me like he's uh he's just telling a bunch of stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I made the mistake, and Lauren, I want to hear your take on this. I, I made the mistake of looking up who uh Taskmaster was before seeing this movie. Okay. Because I wanted to know who that villain was because it was marketed as the film's ultimate villain here. Mm-hmm. Based on what I read and based on what I saw, I know what they were going for thematically, but I was disappointed and I can equate it probably to how the Mandarin was introduced in Iron Man 3 with all this expectation, all this marketing, and then there was a reveal And here there is a similar reveal and it's not played up for laughs, but I did find it to be disappointing just in regards to what that character could have been for future installments and what else they could have done with that character. What they did here is not necessarily bad. I'm just I just think that there was maybe another opportunity was all. Um, Yeah, I was shocked when I heard that Taskmaster was going to be the villain because Taskmaster isn't really a Black Widow villain. Black Widow's villains are villains that are really within her world. So it is, you know, Yelena or Melina or whoever's in charge of the Red Room at the time. Those are really, you know, her people. And I understand why they brought Taskmaster because it's the whole idea of marrying and being identical and cloning and right. not having agency to be an individual, which is exactly the themes within the Red Room and the Black Widows themselves. Right. And so I understand the critique and it is, I think my major critique is, is the use of Taskmaster because the idea is good, but it's not 
executed as well as it should be. And it's not the Taskmaster that has that fans who know the character and love the character expect it to be. Because when you talk about Taskmaster, especially when just adapting the character within the Marvel canon, you expect to actually get them. So when it's technically not him and it's just an idea, and again, they never really call him Taskmaster. It could just be within the Taskmaster force, like how Black Widow isn't just Natasha. She's just the Black Widow of her class. There's one Black Widow for every single class. So like Melina's a Black Widow, Yelena's a Black Widow. All those other girls are Black Widows. So there could be an actual, there could be that guy out there. And I, again, I understand why they chose that character, but I don't think it was adapted as well and i do understand the fanboys being sad about it and angry about it i'm not even a fanboy i just did some prior research and i was like oh this is <laughs> gonna be really cool for the mcu and i was like oh okay that was not where i expected oh, this never, to go never do that Matt. <laughs> never do that no i get it but i i wouldn't be shocked if there is you know a class or just like a form where like the real guy is out there because they said that they experiment they it's a version kind of like the red like kind of like the um super soldier serum so kind of like the winter soldier program so i wouldn't yeah. be shocked if there is the the actual taskmaster out there interesting okay uh ray winstone plays the film's uh real villain general Drykov and uh. harvey weinstein stand in <laughs> anyone oh oh maybe Maybe. I, I, eh, it, it came to mind. I was too busy just <laughs> wondering what that accent was. <laughs> Not Russian. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> the MCU has got a very, very unusual relationship with accents and their characters. <laughs> but I actually did think that Ray Winstone was genuinely menacing and pretty uh, imposing in the limited screen time that he did have and the darkness of the film's uh, themes like we've been talking about here really, really came through every time he was on screen. Like you, he never, he was never a threat. I'll, I'll just come off and say that in terms of a physical threat to the main characters or anything like that. But you really, really, really got a sense of how evil this man was. And uh, that came through in the menace that Winstone put into uh, that performance there. So once again, kind of like Rachel Weiss, it's like I, I'm not going to sit here and say it was a great job. But considering what he was given, I would say he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think that he he does feel very menacing, even though we, you know, don't spend that much time with him. But I also think he's a very fitting sort of ultimate villain for this piece. Right. And I agree with what you said. I think, you know, the Weinstein comparison is is accurate, but also because I think that uh, there are a lot of men like that in the world and that that yep. is where a lot of women, you know, are threatened, are uh, have have bad done unto them by men like that. And so it does make it feel, even though he's obviously this, you know, sort of comic book villain who's running this like extreme high technology program and whatever, it also does have an element of realness to it. Uh, and, you know, there's even that comment made about how, you know, girls are the world's most expendable resource or whatever. And I think that, you know, with everything that's gone on in the past years, that's come out about things like Jeffrey Epstein and all of that. I think that there's some definite real world connections to all of this and this idea of young women being 
trafficked into a program like this. And I think that they do a really good job of sort of letting those connections sit there without hammering it home so hard that it feels like they're trying to win points for it or something. And I thought that it was handled really well. I, I just wished there was a bit more sort of screen time dedicated to exploring um, his relationship with with Natasha. Um, just because I thought it was it was really interesting how he sort of ultimately the little plot twist that happens, how he sort of knows who she is and who she isn't. And um, I found that was, you know, sort of looking into her eyes and, and knowing I can't remember the exact line, but the, some something about raising someone or something and knowing what their eyes look like or something along those lines. And I thought that was like, I, I just wanted a bit more of him sort of explored. Like, uh, who is he? Is he working for a greater power? Who is is he? Is he the one pulling the strings, or is there someone else behind the scenes pulling the strings? Like, well, it... I think I think the difficult thing with that is they do they do, they talk about him a lot mm. before he actually shows up in the movie. So yeah. there's all this dialogue set up. But the movie is focused on the quote unquote taskmaster in this movie instead. It, it reminds me actually a little bit of Winter Soldier and how they're like setting up the Winter Soldier to be the big bad villain. And then, you know, it's revealed that Robert Redford's actually the one pulling the strings of everything, you know, later on. And Robert Redford does not have as much screen time, uh, kind of like similar to where Winstone here. But in that movie, they were going with it a totally different angle and agenda and his performance was not coming off as the same way as Ray Winstone's does here but I think it's like a very similar formula as as that movie utilized mm. if that makes sense yeah I, I felt maybe something could have been a bit more explored in terms of Putin oh yeah yeah um especially in terms of like uh having ultimate power and corruption in that but um, I, then I think the film wouldn't really have gone down. I wonder if it will go down well in Russia. Um, but there's definitely like a lot more potential with that character. Maybe that's why Ray Winstone doesn't have a Russian accent. They don't. They don't want to offend the Russian audience. That that could affect the box office. Yeah. And what, and what was that accent? Because uh, you know it. it it was really bizarre. Um, all right. So bringing it back also to the beginning, because I, I do want to just mention this really quick. My favorite scene in this movie is actually the film's opening. Yes. I love this riff on like the Americans and the introduction to the characters in the past. You know, we get to see uh, baby Natasha and baby Elena. <laughs> Uh, and I do think that the uh, younger actresses who play them in those scenes actually do a really, really good job as well. There's real stakes set in that opening that I really appreciated. And I liked where it was going so much so that when they did then get to the opening credits with the uh, cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit, I was fully bought in. I was like, yes, I love where this is going. I love the melancholy feel to everything right now. I, I was so, 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 so into the movie at that point that I, I did start to diminish a bit as it went on, as illustrated by a lot of the problems that you know we've talked about here. But that opening, I thought, was just freaking fantastic. I love the opening so much. And I think that the opening 
credits sequence mm. is one of the coolest things that the MCU has ever done. They don't do credit sequences that often, do they? I'm obsessed no, with it. And I don't. I don't mean like in terms of best credit sequence. I mean in terms of like one of the best sequences they've ever done. Mm. I think that is so interesting and it sets everything up so well. I think like you said, they set up the stakes really well in the beginning, but also there's so many little things that they set up in the beginning that then come back later in the movie that I, like, whenever you watch it again, it hits even harder, which I always really love. It's just really yeah, sad. It's so dark. Yeah. It's so dark. I, I mean, I just, I that's what I wanted the, the rest of the movie to be, like, that tone. Yeah, I, I feel a very similar way, Bianca. That I think that's why it's my... I think that's why it's my favorite scene in the whole movie. Everything from the beginning till the end of the credits, essentially, just I was like, wow, this is going to be something different. This is going to be great. I, I thought of Lauren while watching it. I'm like, this is everything that Lauren's <laughs> going to want it to be. I was shocked. And, you know, it, it, it's, it still was for her. But, you know, I guess it, it, it didn't meet my expectations post that. But the opening really made it seem like it was going to because um, some of the imagery in that credit sequence, like I said, the melancholy uh, feel of the cover song, even though I do think that the slow down um, dark covers of of very popular songs is something that's becoming like a tired trope in Hollywood, especially <laughs> with trailers lately. But here I, 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 I just... I, I couldn't help it. I know there are some people who are rolling their eyes about it. I've seen some reactions to it online already, and I'm just like, no. Like, that was that was the perfect tone setter. It's just unfortunate the movie couldn't follow that same tone throughout. So for final thoughts on Black Widow, anything that we did not mention that you want to mention, try to be wary of spoilers. I know that we've kind of, uh, you know, walked a fine line here on this review today. So, Bianca, anything that you want to mention? Uh, I just want to say there's a joke with a helicopter, um, which was just possibly one of the funniest things I've seen this year. I, 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 and nice. also, um, can we have more pigs in the MCU? Because that, <laughs> they're, they're adorable. I want to see. I want to see Alexi the pig come back. Hey, you know what? With uh, Neon's pig uh, coming yeah. out, yeah, we're, we're getting we're getting a resurgence of pigs in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nicole, what about you? A couple of things. One, my favorite scene in the movie, other than the scene in the car um, in which Natasha and Yelena talk about her vest, which is very important to me, but is the second dinner table scene, which I think is fantastic. And also probably Florence Pugh's best scene in the whole film. The emotion that like rolls over her face while other people are talking is so tremendous and I think it's such a good example of what she does so well. It's the sort of thing that we also saw from her in Little Women. And another thing that I really love that I have to say is that I love that the widow's hair is almost always styled up. It's out of their face. It's, you know, in these braids or ponytails or back in some way, which I love to see in a movie because you know, I love Nat, but I I need a girl to put her hair up before she fights. Oh yeah, that just made me really happy. It's not fun. It's it's not functional. You know no, that way. No. <laughs> There's oh. also no wedged boots. Oh. Those girls oh, are in yeah. flats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank God. I want to give a shout out to the costuming in this movie because I do think that they do a really good job of sort of playing with the outfits that we've seen Black Widow in thus far, and obviously taking inspiration from them without being the like skin tight unrealistic uh, suits that we've often seen Natasha in. They feel a lot more 
made for utility rather than, you know, highlighting every curve on Scarlett Johansson's body, which I appreciate. But I just really love this movie. I keep quoting it all the time with my sister. I think there's a lot of really fun lines in it. Uh, and I think this is going to be an MCU film that I return to again and again. I am already considering like, eh, should I go ahead and buy the premiere access so I can start rewatching it now? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. It's not like a great film, but it's exactly what I wanted from this movie. Lauren LaMagna. Uh, I'm going to echo on the costumes. I, really love them and I love how um, pulled from the comics they are, especially that white suit, which isn't used that often because let's be honest, the girl is not going to camouflage in a snowy mountain when you have bright red hair. It's just not going to work out, girl. So the fact that they brought that back and made it look good was really cool. I really loved the score. I thought the score was amazing and really highlighted amazing scenes both in the action and in the down emotional moments. Yeah. I love it. Like there were certain songs or like certain moments and I was like, this score is amazing. One of my favorite, I think, within the MCU. Yeah. Lauren Balfe he, uh, also did the music for um, Mission Impossible uh, Fallout as well. And he's uh, been uh, I, I wouldn't say like a composer on the level of someone like, say, an Alexandra Desplat or a Hans Zimmer, but he's like a reliable action blockbuster composer so he's done movies like terminator genesis 13 hours he just did the tomorrow war recently so if you look at like his work he he's usually like the new go-to guy for big hollywood action blockbuster type films and i and i agree with you lauren this is actually one of his uh better scores uh-huh a hundred percent and i really am kind of shocked at how comic accurate this is um, I know that they they definitely took a lot of um, creative justice with, you know, the main characters of, you know, Alexei Molina and Yelena. But um, there are certain costumes or certain action sequences and lines of dialogue that are directly pulled out. Like, for example, um, they talk about Natasha's um, actual origins, origins, origins. And there's two very famous ones because we always we always meet Natasha during her defection or in the middle of a defection or right after her defection. And then we always go back to the red room via flashback. So there's always two main origins and the fact that they kind of find them, I thought was pretty awesome. So if you do know this character outside of the MCU, you're going to be kind of shocked at how accurate this is for the world. And that made my little heart kind of sing over how there were literal moments and action sequences and, lines of dialogue and just plot devices that I've read before and I've seen before. And yeah, so that was cool. And also fun fact, I know the cover for um, the Nirvana song in the opening credits. That is a song that I've always identified with Natasha. And that is a song I have on a playlist for Natasha. So when I saw that opening credits and I heard that song, I was like, oh my God, we're actually going to get something here. Your mind. And I was just like, your mind. my mind blew up and I was like oh my god so the fact that you know me and Kevin Feige kind of have a similar musical sense for Natasha is kind of cute what's up Kevin but um so yeah that's really cool uh I, I I did not need to know um how Natasha gets her vest in Infinity War or why her hair color changes but I now know that context so that's kind of cool so I Excuse like it. Excuse me I, 
the, everything about it. that vest is very important to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, connecting the dots between the movies like that is uh, always really good. I just wish that they had connected the dots between her and uh, what they do with her in Endgame a little bit better. That's all. And then also, too, uh, the character of Rick Mason, who's introduced in this movie here, uh, is someone who, you know, is kind of like her cue. If I'm going to make a John uh, James Bond reference here, he gets her all the uh, gadgets and all the all the things that she needs uh, so that she can go off and do her thing, even though she's not connected to S.H.I.E.L.D. during this time. The movie flirts with this idea that he is a potential romantic interest for her, but it never actually goes there, which is in keeping with the character. Did the film actually need that? Could they have just avoided that altogether? Because I did not like this idea of even teasing it. What did you guys think? I I actually, yeah, I appreciated seeing her, you know, have this sort of friend. I appreciated also that I feel like sometimes in these sort of movies, people, you know, they get a plane from literally nowhere. And whenever (laughs) it's like, all right, he's got enough money, fine. But whenever it's someone like Natasha, it's like, well, where did she get that plane? And this actually lets us see that, which I really Mm -hmm. liked. I also like that we do sort of see, though, that Nat is someone who is sort of repellent to the idea of things going any further than they are with someone like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And let's be honest, even though she does have, like, more chemistry with him than she's ever had with Mark Ruffalo. um, Preach! It's not a dig on either (laughs) of them. I love both of them. They just, I don't know what they were trying to do with that. But... I think that it's sort of nice and that it sees that this is something that she could have gone for had she wanted to, but it's not what she is choosing to do. Uh, but obviously with, you know, a, a woman like Natasha would have options there. But I like that we get to see that even though there is maybe this chemistry between them, he also is being a good friend to her. Yeah. Uh, and he seems to genuinely care for her. And I think for me, it was comforting to see that, like, yeah, for as much as Natasha may feel like she's alone, she does have people who care about her if she yeah. can just sort of open her eyes to it, which I think is a big theme of the whole film. Yeah, I'm yeah. not arguing that his character should not have been a part of the movie or anything like that. I just wish it was a bit more platonic. I don't know why they had to actually go out of their way to illustrate that he was romantically interested yeah, but, in her. I mean, it's Scar Joe. Come on. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. But then, like Nicole said, they don't actually do anything with it. Um, and if they do something with it, it's just reinforcing themes about her character that we already know from the previous movies. So it just feels like it's tacked on in a way that is unnecessary and doesn't actually advance the plot or the character. Um, they could have just made him a platonic friend who gets her stuff. Fair enough. I to mean, me, it just felt like they unfortunately, unfortunately, quote unquote, had good chemistry. Like, it doesn't feel like they were trying to push right. that at all in the way that it's always been pushed on her character before. And I also sort of like that for once she sort of gets to be the one who isn't pushing that anywhere. Yeah, she's in control yeah. of that relationship. And then, um, spoiler, I will actually make a spoiler a spoiler alert for this moment here. Lauren. Matt. Who is Julia Louis-Dreyfus playing in the post credit scene? Uh, she has like a French name. Um, Valentina. Her, yeah. Did you watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Uh, I, I never finished it. I didn't like it, if I'm being honest well, with you. there you go. Well, that's okay. the <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, that explains that then. <laughs> she Okay, long story short, she is recruiting a group of people on a freelance basis to 
they're going to think that they're doing good things, but like in general, she is just causing chaos for the sake of it. If that helps identify your question. You know what? That thing's only what? Five episodes long. And it's her scenes at the last episode, but you could like watch a YouTube video that'll explain it for you. But like, she's hiring people she's she's she wants to make her own adventures group maybe i'll just watch maybe i'll just watch the rest of it this weekend she's like a nick fury but more chaotic and less focused on the greater good okay all right fair (laughs) enough chaos to happen i guess because i had not finished that show i was just like i don't really understand this reference right now i should ask lauren on the review (laughs) (laughs) no it's a simple question but yeah she's just she's uh, she's recruiting her own team you're like our Black Widow Wikipedia page. <laughs> I'm here to help. So overall, um, I, I, I do like the movie more than I have uh, criticisms with the movie. It's not, for me, the breakthrough movie that I think that, like I said, Marvel wanted it to be. Or even what fans, God bless you all on this podcast who feel this way, wanted it to be. Um, I just don't, you know, if it is for you, great. But I just don't think on the whole... It's meeting those expectations for the for the majority of the world. But I do think that I'm sorry, I don't think it's exceeding those expectations. I think it is meeting those expectations, though. And I do think that based on the reviews and the reception from the box office, it is being well received. Um, I do think that it's a little messy at times and there are some criticisms to be had here. But at the same time, it's a movie made by committee. So that's like kind of to be expected. When you have a franchise this large, uh, at the end of the day, what you try to do is you try to find the things uh, on a smaller level that you particularly like. And as I mentioned before, I like this cast, Um, even though I don't think the action scenes are anything uh, incredible or anything like that. Like they're still fun action sequences at the end of the day. uh, The score is good. The story. Oh, I just wish they had just gone just a little bit deeper with it. But once again, when you're made by the mouse house, I understand the limitations that are put on that. But in the end, we got the movie. It's here. It exists. It's a it's a week seven out of ten for me in the end. Lauren, what about you? Again, I'm genuinely I think Black Widow is the best it could be given the circumstances that it is in. So given her again, inconsistent treatment thus far in the mcu given who runs the mcu which is a lot of white guys and it is disney (laughs) so it is family friendly and given that it could only get as dark as it can to maintain you know that pg-13 rating and given you know where she's going i do think it does exceed the expectations that it was given which again for a movie that has been wanted for 10 years that is a lot to live up to and i'm kind of shocked that we got something that I think does stand on its own. And I think the when the negatives of the film are things that aren't in the film, but it's things that surround the film externally, I think that shows how strong this film is. I think it's the strongest we see of Natasha. And I think that we finally get what she is. And I think people are finally seeing why I love this girl so much. So again, I'm kind of shocked that it is as good as it is, but it could just me being oh my God, after seven years, I finally got this movie. Good things come to those who wait. So, but I do see this dark film that is as dark as it could be being a comfort film for me. So right now I'm at a nine out of 10. Okay. Bianca? I'm kind of with you, Matt. Um, I don't want to, I, I think it's it's good. Um, I don't think it's the best that MCU have 
have given us but by far it's not as bad as um ant-man and the wasp so you know um i uh, i i think it's a it's a seven out of ten and maybe it would improve on a rewatch which i'm hoping to do later on this week so um i'll i'll see how i stand then but uh, definitely um highly enjoyable for 80 percent of the runtime i think i might go again tonight i just want to see it with an audience especially a you know a hyper excited open weekend mcu audience i know nicole you just had that experience the other night it was beautiful yeah it was great (laughs) people clapped as soon as the credits rolled and as soon as the credits ended so in the beginning and the end it's also so fun whenever you are in that audience and you know what happens already because there are, <laughs> there were moments where people were like very dramatically like, oh, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think like with Nicole's, what you said about seeing it with your sister, I think I want to do that as well because I highly it, recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw it with my brother. So, yep. and I'm the older sister. So I even related to that because mm-hmm. I would like, because when Natasha like goes across countries to help her sister out. I like looked at my brother and I was like, what big siblings do for their little ones. <laughs> yep. All right. And Nicole. Yeah. About halfway through this movie, my sister uh, reached over and grabbed my hand and didn't let go of it for the rest Aww. of the film. So, you know, that made me a little bit more ready to cry. Um, I will also say before I give my grade, because I think this kind of plays into it. I cried on four separate occasions on my third watch of this movie. So obviously it's something that I connected with really strongly emotionally for me it's in the top half of the mcu it's in my top 10 for the mcu films i really love the themes that it does explore i think the performances are really fun and also very touching at times particularly florence Pugh's. uh you know i love the score the costuming all of that and i'm really happy that after all this time this film finally exists and it's one that i know i will be rewatching a lot so for me it's an eight out of ten and as far as Oscar potential goes for Black Widow, I have gone back and forth on this actually quite a bit over the last couple of days. And I feel that the Academy has a very bad relationship with the MCU. Like, they're at a point, I think, now where unless if you are either in a weak year for the visual effects category, or if you are truly doing something absolutely groundbreaking, um, like, say, uh, Doctor Strange, or it's just so much it's undeniable, like the Infinity War and Endgame movies, then I do think that there is potential for them to ignore you. And as I mentioned earlier, I do not think that there is a standout visual effect in this movie that would warrant them to put it into a a five. Then again, um, I also don't know how the rest of the year is going to shake out with some of the other visual effects heavy contenders. You know, we still have to see what Eternals looks like, uh, for example, or um, the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And then there's Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, But once again, though, I look at the fact that we still have three more movies in the MCU coming this year and I wonder how much of a chance this actually does have of getting into that category. And I think I've landed in the side of it's not going to get any nominations. No, I think you're right. I think that the other MCU films even are going to sort of bump it out of that popular film slot, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I would be shocked if it gets in anywhere. 
Mm. I was nervous you were going to say, like, Best Supporting Actress. And I was like, Mad Neglia, don't you go there. I, I <laughs> Let me tell you something. I've seen some people lately talking about that or even David Harbour. And there was an argument made to me by uh, a friend who said to me, you know, Matt, if we don't champion performances like this, then how will they ever get recognized with Academy recognition? And it's like, I'm not in the business of prediction equals advocacy. So it's fine if you want to take that route and you want to go that way. But I like to predict what I actually think is actually going to happen. And I do not think that Florence Pugh or David Harbour are going to be contenders in the respective supporting categories this year at all. I just I just don't. I you know, I think that they're both good performances, but neither of them feel like Oscar performances. And I don't think either of those actors took this role because they were hoping for an Oscar. You know, it just doesn't feel it doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, Florence is going to have her time. This is not it. She already has a nomination and she'll definitely get nominated again. And yeah. don't worry, Darlene is coming. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, she'll be fine. Um, I think, what about costumes? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would love for one day for the costumes in the MCU to get their due recognition. I mean, Black Panther obviously did. Uh, but that was a very extremely culturally specific type mm. of costuming that I think just blew people away. Here, it's just so much more contemporary in a way that I just, yeah. I mean, like, they're good and they're well thought out, but we're just not there yet. Like, as a society, when it comes to embracing uh, these types of costumes, you know, they'll, like like Nicole said, they'll get pushed aside for the conventional period drama instead, you know? yeah. I know. Well, uh, one day. One day. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, Lauren, where can they find you on the internet? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Nicole Ackman? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman16. Bianca Garner? You can find me at the film B and over at In Their Own League. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Black Widow here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. But you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Who am I thinking of in uh, Iron Man 3? Oh, uh... Ben Kingsley. I can't. I've never pronounced oh, it right. God. It's like the Manda... Altran. The Mauritanian? Yeah, I never Wait, say it right. More the Mandalorian? Team, I, guess. <laughs> I always say it wrong. I just say the big M. <laughs> um, shoot, I gotta get this right. Hold on. Yeah, pause it. <laughs> Iron Man 3. God damn it. How do I not notice? The Mandarin. Not there we go. go. Yeah. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, 
toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right?